We've been talking about following Jesus. And I put uh, that DCF, deny, take up your cross and follow. That's kind of the equation that we're working on during this Easter season. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, the first verse of our memory scripture. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And so we've been talking about that. We've said so far in the last few weeks that following Jesus is the invitation. Come follow me. That is the invitation that is the Christian life. But it's an invitation to walk in the context of relationships on Jesus' mission. It wasn't just to go on vacation with him or to enjoy relationship. To follow Jesus. Jesus was inviting them to do what he does. To be on mission for him. To, to follow his purposes. To follow Jesus means that uh, we are to be with him, to become like him, and to obey his orders as, as our leader, which, requir- which requires intentional time. And then last week we talked about how it's together. It's about learning together, growing together, serving together, receiving together as the, the body of Christ. So today I want to talk more about following Jesus, but in the context of this friendship, this relationship with Jesus. It it was February of 1996. Some of you remember that back, back that far. Some of you are going, that's ancient history. February of 1996, the Promise Keeper organization, who had been organizing arena rallies for a number of years for men, decided to have a specifically a conference for pastors in Atlanta, Georgia. And so uh, we had been going to that as, uh, as a group of men from New Song. So I gathered some of my pastor friends, and we decided we would take a road trip down to this pastor's conference. One of them was Tom Ravazio, who pastored um, south of here, and he runs Shekinah Ranch, for those of you that remember when we went out there and worked, and Sarah's worked there for years. So we got about halfway, we stopped at a motel, and Tom was in the same room with me, a couple other guys. And as we're kind of winding down for the day, Tom says, why don't we spend some time praying? Now understand, I had been a pastor for 15 years at that point. And my immediate response was, wait a minute, I'm off the clock. That doesn't sound like fun. To my shame, I'm saying this to my shame. I've been a pastor for 15 years. And when Tom says, let's spend some time praying, I saw it as a duty. I saw it as something he wanted to force me into. I saw it as something that was a chore. And it caught me. So here we are, 25 years later. And I still remember my response because I was so ashamed. That was before, if you've read my book, one of my books, or if you've, you've heard me talk any length of time, you've heard me talk about the moment when I, I, I sensed God inviting me up onto his lap. That was before, February of 1996. In the ensuing year, it was that year, some months later, when I sensed God say to me, come sit on my lap. And I couldn't because it was too scary. And every time I would pray, God would bring that same picture of him sitting on, a, on the throne with his arms out saying, come sit on my lap. And I can't, I can't. After about six months of that, God saying, come sit on my lap. I started praying again, I saw the same picture, and I just in desperation, tears in my eyes, said, God, I, if you will help me, I will. And the picture changed. And, I, and, I, and in my mind, it wasn't, it wasn't on the wall, it was in my mind, I, I sensed him reach down and pick me up and pull me and wrap his arms around me, and I just wept. I wept and I wept. Because something happened in that moment. Fast forward 25 years later to Monday of this week. Sheila had left me. (laughs) 
for a couple of weeks to spend time with our daughter in California. And so she was still out there. My sister was having surgery. My mom lives with my sister. And so I met my brother. I was to meet my brother halfway on Monday and make the exchange. So mom was going to get out of my brother's car, get in my car, and come to Pittsburgh for a while. And my mom's here. Everybody say, hi, mom. Hi, mom. Glad to have you. Hi, she can tell you all kinds of stories if you want. Hi, Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> so on Monday morning when I was getting ready, I was having some time with God, and it was delightful. It was just a wonderful time with God. And generally when I drive, I like to listen to books on audio or podcasts. I just, I love to learn. I love stories. And, and so that was, that was kind of my plan. But as, as I was spending time with God in the morning, I sensed him say, don't do that. Just spend those two hours with me. And I caught myself going, oh, but God, I like podcasts. <laughs> but having 25 years of God drawing me to himself under my belt, I recognized that this was a loving Heavenly Father who was saying, I've got something better for you than a book. I've got something better for you than a podcast. If you'll just, I just want you to spend time with me. Not because you have to. It wasn't, it wasn't Tom Ravazio's saying, let's pray, ringing in my head. It was my loving Heavenly Dad who said, I have something good. If you will just, if you'll just spend this time with me, I've got something good. So, um, over the if you remember last weekend, we got snow. And since Sheila was out of town, I was, I, I was driving her car because I had to pick the dog up. And my car was snowed in, so I was driving Sheila's car. Now, and, and I want you to notice how God arranges these things. So because I was driving Sheila's car, I didn't have my CDs. I didn't have my music with me. I had hers. And, and one of the CDs that she had was by a group called Sela that I've loved for years. Just a wonderful trio that sings wonderful, the combination of hymns and modern songs. And, and it was a CD that I'd never heard before. And so I, I, I sensed God say, don't listen to podcasts, just spend these two hours with me. And then I got into the car and then I sensed him say, put in that CD. And I put in that CD. And before I got out of Allegheny County, I had tears in my eyes. Because God's presence. You see, when God nudges us and invites us to be with him, and we align ourselves with him, he gives us a satisfaction. When he says, I want to give you life and I have it abundantly, he means a deeper satisfaction than you can experience with anything you will ever experience here on earth in the physical. And so I'm in, and I'm in, the, in the car and the songs are just reaching into my heart and into my soul. And, I'm, and so I'm praying and I'm praising God and I'm singing along and I'm weeping and I'm just thanking God. And, and he brings memories to my mind about all the things that he's done and all the promises that he has. And for two hours, there's just this delight. And about an hour and a half in, this thought occurs to me, why in the world would I trade this to listen to a book? And then as we, got, as we got closer to Cracker Barrel in Cambridge, Ohio, I went, God, can't this trip be a little bit longer? Because it's like a moment of heaven. God's presence. There's no, I, I, I don't even know how to describe or explain the depth of satisfaction and joy that just permeates my entire being in those moments. But it would not have, and it would not have happened if 25 years ago I put in the same CD and I, and I had, you know, spent two hours with God. It, it would not have happened because getting to that place of intimacy is a journey. You can't experience that level of satisfaction and joy until you experience Jesus as a friend, not just as Savior but as a friend. And he delights in that. He wants us to experience that. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 15. And I want to read verses 14 and 15. 
following Jesus as God, as he has designed it, is not to follow him from a distance, but it's to follow him as an intimate friend. And that's what we're going to look at. That's what we're going to see. And how the goal for this message is for you to be convinced that God really wants that and that that's what you will pursue. John chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. This is Jesus last night with his disciples as a part of his last meal and washing their feet and, and giving them his last words. He says to them, you are my friends if you do what I command. If, I, if, I, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. Now that indicates that when Jesus had called them, that's what they were, right? Because to say, I, I no longer call you that means he called them that previously. So when he came to them and said, follow me, he was calling them as servants. But he says, I no longer call you servants for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But the, ser- the servant just does what the master bids. Just, he didn't give him an explanation. He just tells him, go mow the grass. Why just mow the grass? No, just don't argue with me. Just go do what I tell you to do. That's what a master does with a servant. But he says, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. In other words, he's saying, it, you used to be with me as a servant. Now, because we've spent these two and a half, three years together, I've taught you, I've walked with you, you've, you've watched me, you know, I have, I have given to you these words and these experiences so that now you have an intimate relationship with me. You no longer follow me because you have to. You follow me because we have friendship. That's the journey God wants each one of us to travel. It is God's plan. And so my, my hope today is that you will be convinced that's what God wants and you will pursue it by beginning to commit to constant conversation, constant interaction with God through his spirit within. Now flip over to John chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. <clears throat> because for six months, I wasn't convinced that God really wanted me to sit on his lap. I wasn't convinced that he really wanted me to be that kind of friend because of all kinds of stuff that I had, you know, I had issues with my dad and, and fear and, and fear of God. He had to get me past that. He needs to get, he, he, and Satan will throw every kind of obstacle he can to try to prevent you from really believing that God wants to have you as his friend. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17. This is just previously to the verses that we just read. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will be such a friend that you will trust my instructions that what I'm doing is because I love you. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And notice helpers capitalized. That means it's the Holy Spirit. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. He's been with us the whole time because it's the spirit of Jesus and he will be in you. So some, you know, 40 some days later when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit now begins to live within those who are Jesus' friends. Jump down to verse 25. <clears throat> it says, These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is saying, It is my desire that you will hear my voice moment by moment as you walk through this life. Because now I have been with you externally. I've been in the flesh and we've had this relationship. But when the Holy Spirit comes, I, my spirit will live within you so that you'll be walking in, in my presence all the time. And when 
that happens, then my presence, my spirit will bring to remembrance the things that I've said to you. And all that I've said to you, and he will teach you all things. He will show you how to walk in step with me. He will show you what it looks like to, to be my follower in the, in the relationship of friendship. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In these verses, what we have is Jesus saying, I want you to live in constant conversation with me so that you're in tune with me so that if you're having time with me and and you're spending time with me devotional book bible prayer on monday and i say to you don't listen to an audio book spend that time with me you will do it so that i can pour out my love on you so i can warm your heart so i can bring you to tears so i can let you know how valued you are and so that you can hear what i want you to do next in constant conversation. God delights in communicating with us like that. He loves it when we hear him. He, he does way more than we can ever imagine in talking with us. But we live in a culture and a cultural Christianity in the United States of America that would say no that's not the relationship with God. You need to keep God at a distance. In fact, it's the strategy of the enemy to try to visually as well as spiritually keep us at a distance from God. Generally, when you come to a worship service, there's something between the person up here who's supposed to be representing God and speaking the word of God and people out there. Isn't there? It's strategic. And so there are, there are subliminal kind of subconscious things in our mind that will keep us at arm's length from God. And when we're arm's length with God, we can't hear him because God generally doesn't shout. Amen. He generally whispers. God wants you to be in constant conversation with him. And if you will, you will experience a depth of joy and blessing, and satisfaction that I can't even describe. But it takes time. So let's talk about that. Moving into deep friendship as we follow Jesus. You want to take some notes there? you got plenty of space to do it today. So as I was, as I was um, working on this yesterday, I, I got to thinking about this whole idea of following. We've been using that word a lot. But you know what has, what has following come to mean in our culture? When you hear the word following, the first thing that comes to mind is what? A gathering. What? A gathering. A gathering? Could be that. Not being a leader. Social, media. Social media. I have this many followers, so I'm successful. Oh, I only have this many followers. I'm following this person. Or... Or I'm following this entertainer. I'm a part of his fan club. I've never met him. I'm there, in fact, I've never been within 100 yards of him, but I'm following him. right? Or I'm following um, a, a leader. There's a lot of different kinds of what we hear, and we got to set that aside. Because when Jesus uses the word following, he's talking about something completely different. He's talking about an intimacy, intimate walk with him in friendship following. So let's talk about three elements of this. First of all, the decisions of following Jesus. The decisions of following Jesus. The word repent is an essential word because when Jesus arrives on the scene, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what he means by that is turn away from everything else. You're walking this way. You're walking away from me. Turn away from all, everything else in order to come to me. We saw, um, Previously, last week or the week before, that Jesus shows up. Peter, Andrew, James, John are fishing. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. They're working on their nets. And Jesus preaches and then says, go out, fish at the wrong time of day. And then they catch this great load of fish. And Jesus says to them, what? Follow me. 
and I will make you fishers of men. In that moment, Jesus is saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Leave the other stuff and turn to me 180 degrees and turn and follow me. If you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have done that because that's what it means. Repent. It doesn't mean pray, uh, you know, a, a special prayer. It doesn't mean that that may be the means by which you do it, but it's all about turning from everything else in order to turn to God. That's how the relationship begins. It's the same with us. So same with them, same with us, but it's also repent as a lifestyle. It's another way to say surrender. Because when we repent, we don't even know there's more stuff that we need to let go of, do we? And there will be times when God puts his finger on our hearts or our lives or our schedules or our relationships and he says, you need to change that. And then we have a choice. Am I going to repent of that, turn away from that? And my own agenda, remember he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take God's agenda, Jesus' agenda instead of mine, take up his cross daily and follow me. So it's a lifestyle of following. They left their nets. That was decision number one. Then they had to go forward. It's not unlike what we have to do in other areas of our lives. There are times when uh, couples will come to me and say, would you marry us? Would, would you marry me? And I'm going, no, I'm already married. Sheila likes it that way. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, they say, no, we don't want to marry you. We want you to marry us. I, well, I can't do that either because that's illegal. We want you to officiate our wedding. Okay, I'll do that. And so, you know, we go through the pre-stuff and then we finally get to the day and they're standing there. And then I say, do you... Take her to be your lawfully wedded wife, to love and hold from this day forward till death do you part. And they say, I do. And then he says, she says, I do. And, and then from that point on, I always tell them, you better. Because <laughs> you haven't done anything except say, I do. Right? That's pretty much what it is with Jesus. When Peter... And James and John and Andrew leave their net. All they've done is taken a step. They, put the, they turn their backs on that. But from that point on, it's walking in step with you. It's the same with bringing a child into this world. Isn't it, Vanessa and Ryan? Every day. It seems like a good idea at the time. <laughs> Let's have a baby. Please, God, give us a baby. And then they show up. And you go, oh, I got to feed him more than once. I got to change his diaper more than once. I got I to keep doing this every single day. And there are days when you want to sell them. Right? But you have to turn your back on your own desires in order to do for that child. It's the same with Jesus. Moment by moment, day by day. That's what knees and nudges are all about. Surrendered, start out the day with surrender, God, I give it to you, and then pay attention to when he says what that's going to look like for the day. Turn in your Bibles to John, flip back to John chapter 6. Because a lot of people don't realize that they had to make these kind of decisions. I think, I think in, our, in our minds sometimes we think, well, they left their nets, they left their fishing gear, and so it was a done deal. It was a decision that was made for life. But that's not what we find in Scripture. John chapter 6, beginning with verse 66. It's a lot of sixes. John chapter 6, verse 66. And John, uh, so uh, Jesus has fed the multitudes, and now they're enamored with that, and they want him to keep feeding them. And so he starts telling them the 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 sacrifices that are required in repentance and turning away from everything else in order to make Jesus their priority. And, and so they began to leave. After this, many of his disciples turned back, not talking about the 12, talking about the multitudes that were also his disciples. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. 
So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? What's Jesus saying? Do you want to repent again? Do you want to, to set aside your agenda again? Do you want to continue to go with me? It was an option. He wouldn't have said it to them if it wasn't an option. It was an option. Do you want to go? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the only Son of God. They had choices. As Jesus got to the end of his ministry, he got word that Lazarus was sick. And he didn't go. And the disciples thought, that was a good idea, because last time we were there, they tried to kill us. The, the, the Sanhedrin, the, the religious leaders, literally tried to kill Jesus. And being his entourage, they were, you know, in the target area. So um, he didn't go. But then he decides to go. And they try to talk him out of it. Lord, last time we were there, you know, they treated us pretty bad. And he says, I told you, we're going. And here's Thomas's words. If you, if you want to write it down, it's John chapter 11, verse 16. Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. That was a choice. It was a choice. Are we going to continue to follow him? Are we going to hold on to this? Are we going to protect ourselves? And if a life of repentance requires us to do those kinds of things. So we see that. Number two, the experiences of following Jesus. The experiences of following Jesus. So Jesus invited them, follow me. Andrew, Peter, James, John. We also looked at Philip and Nathaniel and Matthew. He said to each one of them, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And, but he wasn't saying to them, it wasn't like this Simon says, you know, just do what I do. It was to be with me. And we talked a little bit about the, that rabbi model of of living with him and eating with him and listening to him and watching. But what if Jesus had said to them, follow me, and then never talk to them again? How could they have become his disciples? How could they have become his friends? It would have been impossible, right? What if he said to them, stop asking questions? And, you, and as a human being, if I was there, I would have, oh. there would have been times where I'm going, you knuckleheads, just shut up for a while. Because they were as dense as we are. Audience participation time then. What were the experiences of the disciples as they followed? So Jesus said, leave all that stuff and follow me. What happens over the next two and a half to three years? What do they experience? What do you th think through your mind of the kinds of experiences that they had with Jesus. They watched him do healings. Miracles, yeah. Healings, miracles. So watch them raise the dead. Watch them loving, loving on the people. Yep, yep. They, they, they experience Jesus correcting them because they go through Samaria, to Samaria, they reject them. James and John goes, Jesus, they rejected us. Let's call fire down on these people and kill them all. Jesus goes, stop it. Just stop it. What's that? He healed people? Absolutely. What's that? They were hungry sometimes. They were disoriented. Yeah, they were disoriented a lot because he was turning their world upside down. Yeah, so they watched him lean into people and, and spend time with people that everybody else was rejecting. The woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the lepers, the tax collectors, all those people. And they're watching all of this. He loved the Gentiles as much as he loved the Jews. Yep, he loved those that weren't of Jewish. He, he was willing to heal them and speak to them and, and lay the foundation for what was coming next. Yeah, so they watched them walking on the water. They watched them calm the storm. They watched them take loaves and bread and multiply them so that thousands of people could have a feast. And, I, and you saw how, like, they, he did allow them to eat on the Sabbath, where, mm -hmm. and, you know, and he corrected them that, right. you know, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. Yeah, so he, he uh, not redefined, he clarified 
where the religious leaders were getting it wrong. They'd taken the word of God, and they misinterpreted it, and then they'd added to it. And so he was clarifying. He was trying to show them. Yeah. So they walked together. Sometimes they camped out overnight in, together. They lived together. They laughed together. They, they went to a wedding together. They had all of these experiences together. What's that? They disagreed, with disagreed with each other. They argued, and he had to correct them. And he was, he was teaching, rebuking, equipping, trying to tell them what was real, what wasn't real. Because, and, and um, as he does that, he's helping them understand who God is and what God does. Laying the foundation. So he's moving them from servants to friends, intentionally along the way. Because what he's doing is he's going to pass on to those who would be his followers. God wants to have constant conversation with us. I put a couple of scriptures here for you. Come to me, he says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke up on you. So here's the picture. He says, I'm the mature big ox in the yoke. I want you to come as the learner in the other side. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I want you to walk with me so that you learn what it looks like to follow me through experiences. Through experiences. So he takes them through experiences. Because he wants to equip us. John 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. And I put that scripture there because I want you to be convinced that God wants to speak to you and God wants to resource you. God wants to give you all that you need in order to be his friend. And you can have constant conversations with him that will guide you through this life with supernatural joy and abundant satisfaction. And some of you are not yet convinced because I was where you are 25 years ago after having been a pastor for 15 years. And I get tears in my eyes when I think about how God pursued me and he continues to love me and arrange everything I need. That's what he wants for you. Pastors don't get a special card. It's for us all. Which brings us to the third piece, and that is the conversations of following Jesus. The conversations of following Jesus. It was great that the disciples had the experiences with Jesus, of following Jesus. But the problem was, when Jesus called them away from their old life, they came with all kinds of assumptions of what God was all about and what following Jesus is all about. And, and among the 12, there was a vast array. On the one hand, you had Matthew, who was a tax collector, which to me tells me he was, he was uh, very methodical. And, you know, he would, you know, numbers, engineering, you know, all that kind of stuff, everything in his place, systems and all of that. And then you had the fishermen among the group who were working with their hands and, you know, just they learned by practical experience. And then you got Judas, who wants to kill the Romans and put Jesus on the throne. Who Matthew, and if you don't know this, Matthew and Judas would have been enemies. But they're in this entourage together because Jesus wants to teach them all the same experiences to understand who God is. Our problem is, without Jesus defining what an experience means, we make our own assumptions of what it means. So Judas follows Jesus for these two and a half, three years, believing all along that he's going to militarily take the throne. He's going to reestablish Israel as a geographical country and kick Rome out because he had those assumptions all along the way. We all have assumptions about who God is. It was my assumptions that kept me 
tied up and bound for six months when God was saying, come sit on my lap. Because I had these assumptions about God being mean and God being harsh and God being, you know, you got to yeah, serve him and, and love him. Yeah, but sit on his lap, that's craziness. Assumptions. And you have some of those same assumptions. Without conversation with Jesus, the disciples who've never understood what these experiences meant. Right? So when Jesus announced, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, Judas is going to think military, right? And probably mo- a lot of them were probably thinking the same way. So um, I, I, I just identified a few, and I, and I think we probably come back to this whole idea. Um, so the disciples... And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends them out two by two. And he says, I want you to go out, announce that the kingdom of God is near, is at hand. Um, Heal the sick, cast out the demons. Announce the kingdom of God is at hand. Go out there two by two. And just by the way, I think maybe, there's no, absolutely no scriptural basis for this whatsoever, but I think maybe Jesus put Judas and Matthew together, (laughs) two by two. Why? Because I think God forces us into being around people that he wants us to learn how to love. Anyway, he sent them out two by two and they came back and they were so excited and they said, Jesus, even the demons, even the evil spirits listen to us. Jesus' response, don't rejoice that they, don't rejoice that the evil spirits listen to you. Rejoice that your names are written in the kingdom of God. He says, that is just a symptom. The the supernatural, the spectacular is not the deal. You want real satisfaction? It's by being in relationship with me. He had to define that experience for them. And you will have experiences, worship experiences, experiences with God. You'll read stuff in scripture. You won't know, you will assume you know what it means unless you ask God. And sometimes it'll come, the Spirit of God will reveal it. Sometimes it'll come through a friend, another Christian who's a little bit farther along the way, or a commentary. It'll come from a different way. Don't assume you know what God means. That's why it's so important that we have constant conversation with Him. Another time they were on a boat after Jesus, um, well, let me read it to you. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 6 to 12, turn there. Turn there. We got all day. <laughs> Sarah brought food, so. <laughs> Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 6. So they've been, they've been doing stuff. They get in the boat. They're crossing the lake again. And Jesus says to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees, religious leaders. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, oh, we brought no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith. In other words, you don't yet understand the spiritual things. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? How many baskets you gathered? How was it that you failed to understand that? I did not speak about bread. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, we, I, you know, I love that story because it's just like us. We hear something from God and we think it means one thing. But until we ask him, until we listen for him to define, explain, and, and apply it, we don't get it. That's why it's so important that we are in constant conversation. Thousands of people were hungry. They came to Jesus and says, we need to send these people away. And he says, no, you feed them. Conversation that never occurred to them until they heard it from Jesus. 
And on and on it goes. There's no way to get to know Jesus as a friend or to follow without a lifestyle of conversation with him. So here's some scriptures. Um, because I, I don't think most American Christians understand the level of constant conversation that God wants to have with us. What's been propagated um, for the last, I don't know how, how long, is have a quiet time every day. Have a time with God. Read your Bible, have a devotional book, pray, and then you know maybe listen for a little bit. And then go about your day and then come back the next day to listen to him. When, when what, what we find in Scripture, blatantly, if we're looking for it, is that we spend time with him to, to, in those intimate moments, in those presence kind of moments. And then we get up from our knees and we get up from reading our Bible and we go throughout the rest of the day list, constantly listening to the Holy Spirit speaking and guiding and nudging and directing. And, but we have to pay attention. And we have to be asking questions to experience that. And that's what we see modeled with Jesus and the 12 disciples. But throughout Scripture, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus told them a parable to the fact that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Always to pray. Now, we usually interpret that. Yeah, you need to pray at least once a day. No, that's not what it says. Always. Always being in, in conversation, communication. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. This was one of our memory verses a while back. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean once a day. That means all the time. In conversation, in communication, in the presence, constantly. It, it, oh. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All these three things are the will of God for you. Galatians 5, 16 and 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. That means step by step, every day, step by step, living in step with the Spirit, living in the presence of the Holy Spirit who's living within us, guiding us. You can't walk in step with the Spirit unless you know where the Spirit is stepping. Right? That requires constant conversation because we will assume things instead of hearing things. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Turn to Ephesians 6.18. And we'll wrap it up. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Now let's go back. When Jesus sent his Holy, he, he said, I will send you the helper. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. He lives within us. The same Spirit of God, same Spirit that was in Jesus, lives within us. So I, praying at all times, talking at all times, in conversation with the Spirit, in the Spirit, with all prayer, requests, and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, requests for everyone. Praying at all times in the Spirit. The most important part of the disciples' experience. I want you to catch this. The most important part of the disciples' experience was not the fact that they watched him heal, watched him raise the dead, watched him multiply food. It was that he was in conversation with them about it all the time. He's walking along, they're arguing back there, and he says, what are you arguing about? And they have a conversation, and he corrects them. He says, what did you experience with me? He had this conversation. And then there were times when <laughs> Jesus would say things and they would later on while they were alone going, Jesus, when you were doing that, what, what, did they, what, what was that about? And he would answer them. 
And the most important thing for you is not the experiences that you have with God, but hearing what the Holy Spirit has to say to help you clarify what those mean. Because when, when I sense God saying, come sit on my lap, my interpretation, my assumption was he's mean and he wants to hurt me. Even though I knew that wasn't true here, that's what I felt in my heart. And he had to redefine that. And it's the same with us. Have you ever been in a text conversation and you just get so frustrated and go, can we just talk? Or you're emailing with someone, can we just talk? Can you just call me? So that we can have... So, so a while back, I told Sheila, um, we've been married for over 40 years, I said, um, I've decided that we need to change the pattern of me finding things in the basement. Because for 40 years, this is the way it has gone. I go down to the, and, and she's, I said, um, I, I, where's, where's the can of green beans? She says, it's in the cabinet, bottom of the steps, in the basement. So I go down to the bottom of the steps, and I look, and I don't see it. I say, what shelf is it on? It's on the third shelf down. I look at the third shelf down, I can't see it. It's not there. Um... And I said, are you sure it's there? Well, maybe on the fourth shelf. So I look at the fourth <laughs> shelf, and I go down there, and I can't find it. And then I come back up, and I say, I can't find it. And you look at me in disgust, <laughs> roll your eyes, and goes, I got to find everything around here. And so she walks down there, she looks, and it's in a different cabinet. And she brings it up. She says, see, you just didn't look where it was. <laughs> I said, so here's the change. We're going to cut out the middle part. I'm going to say, we need green beans. And you say, well, you go look for it. And I said, I've already done that a, a lot of times and it didn't work out. Why don't we just have you go down and find it? <laughs> because sometimes you need somebody with you who knows what they're doing. In fact, I'll even go down there with you so I can carry it back up the steps for you. <laughs> but I'm not looking by myself anymore. And I'm not living by myself without the presence of God anymore. Amen. That's the constant conversation that we need to have. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us. So that, you know, so as Sheila and I go down there together and we look on the second shelf and we laugh and we, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, I must have put it around here. And then we laugh and we enjoy it. And then we go back up the stairs and then I kiss her and say, you're the best wife. <laughs> it changes everything from frustration to enjoyment, right? That's the way it is with God. In the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about what those conversations look like. But, and so today, my challenge to you is to, number one, write this down, commit to having constant conversation with God. Amen. It's a learned experience. It took the disciples three and a half, or two and a half to three years and then the Holy Spirit coming. I don't know how long it takes, but it's a learned experience. But commit today to live in constant conversation. It's, it's scriptural. It's Pray in the Spirit at all times. Secondly, in your time with God, begin to ask questions. As you go, as you're reading through the Scripture, instead of looking at the Scripture and assuming that you understand what it says, pause. Say, God, what is it that... And, and that's the three questions at the bottom of your outline. That, that's really what the, those three questions. What struck you? What stuck out to you? That's, that's asking a question. God, what is it that you wanted me to notice here? And what does it mean? What does this scripture mean for me? When you tell me to love my, my enemies, who, who do I need to... You, your mind will go to somebody, but that might not be the person that the Holy Spirit really wants you to focus on. So when you're doing scripture, but also with the um, devotional book, and I... Oh, here... 
in the devotional book, at the bottom, I love this. And I'm loving it more and more all the time. Hearing God is what we're talking about. At the bottom, each day, he has reflection, or he has think about, or pray about, or meditate about. Instead of meditating and reflecting, ask God those questions. And then listen to what he might have to say. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Going from 1996, when I was, I was just a heathen in response to Tom Ravazio's suggestion that we pray, to this past Monday when I experienced heaven for two hours, I would not trade for the world. But it's a journey. And it's a journey of committing ourselves to walk in step with the Spirit, listening for what He has to say. So we'll take a look at more of it in the weeks ahead. Would you bow your heads? And I encourage you to express your commitment to God. God, I commit to live, to to walking in conversation with you. Make the commitment and then ask him to guide you. You can't do it on your own. Your commitment will fall flat. Ask him to guide you. Lord, we can't ever fathom that the God of the universe would want to be in this kind of intimate conversation with us. It's beyond the scope of our minds. But we're so grateful. And I pray that you would do whatever it takes. Pour out your spirit upon each one of these folks. For those that are already experiencing hearing you and walking, make, just amp it up. Ramp it up. Make it go deeper and stronger and wider and broader. For those that have experienced it here and there, God, I pray that you would make it even more common. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has just rarely ever had that experience, would you right now in this moment, Holy Spirit, give them a glimpse of the depth of satisfaction that you offer and help them to take the baby steps toward you. Lord, together, unite us together to be a people that hears you clearly and has the courage to obey you and go all the way, as, as 11 of the 12 eventually did. Thank you for what you're teaching us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.